Welcome to the Gym Owners Business Podcast with Mel Tempest. The Gym Owners Business Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Thomas Plummer, MyZone, Creative Fitness Marketing, and All Smiles Creative. The Gym Owners Business Podcast is part of the Gym Owners Business Network, which is the industry's go-to online hub designed to better service the needs of fitness business owners. The Gym Owners Business Network is currently finalising foundation memberships, so if you're a fitness business that would like to gain valuable and extensive exposure to the Australian and global fitness industries, then head to gymownersbusinessnetwork.net to find out more. Well, good afternoon. It's Mel Tempest from the Gym Owners Business Podcast, and today I'm speaking to Stephen Barrett from Club Intel. Stephen has been a thought leader and employee member advocate to the club industry for 30 years, having worked both domestically and internationally across nearly every segment, including health, fitness, golf, and country clubs, both public and private. He's known worldwide for his innovative, human-centered approach to club operations and has helped hundreds of clubs and manufacturers increase profits through member retention and brand loyalty. Hello, Stephen. Well, hello, Mel, and thank you for the very generous uh, introduction. I'm honored to be on your podcast. Thank you very much. Let's get stuck straight into our podcast. Now, I was very lucky enough to sit in and listen to the Club Intel segment at FIBO in the USA just a few weeks ago. Now, with Christmas and New Year fast approaching, can you please give our club owners some advice on retaining members throughout this busy period? I think the first thing to remember is that retention begins with engagement. The more members are engaged in their club, the more they're involved in events and relationships, the more likely they are to stay. So I think one of the things that every club could do is don't forget your members this time of the year when you tend to think about how am I going to sell in January. Do things to get people engaged. Run special events. Make sure they're aware of them. Work with your staff who have relationships with other members and get them to connect Because the real secret is how can I get my members engaged? When they're engaged, they're not going to leave. And there's a lot of things you can do from special events to special challenges to just creating social activities. But the key is that constant connection. And you can even do that on social media. It doesn't have to happen just in the club, but it can be a 24-7 effort on behalf of your club. So, Steve, tell me then, With your experience, what are some of the things that you've seen that work well on social media to keep that engagement up over the Christmas New Year period? I think from a social media perspective is social media is supposed to be used to create dialogue with your clients, customers, members. And unfortunately, too many operators see Facebook as a marketing vehicle to post promotions and do things like that. And what you really want to be doing is creating dialogue. And visual dialogue is better than auditory. And what I mean by that is little video clips, showing people in events, showing people being successful, photographs. That's where Instagram may be a better tool than Facebook. But it allows you to recognize people, not just for their success, but for their participation. You can create competitions that allow people to post short video segments whether it's on Instagram or on Facebook or if your audience is incredibly young, on Snapchat. 
But think about social media as a tool to allow people to begin connecting, creating communities, to use it as a community builder rather than as a marketing tool. I, I agree with that. I just got a question for you, though. On Snapchat, a lot of club owners are still having problems committing to Snapchat because they just don't know what to put on Snapchat and they feel that's the young person's tool. I mean, so as an older club owner, what would you suggest to me to put on Snapchat? Well, I think that before we even say anything about Snapchat, is you really have to understand who your audience is. That's not, you know, what age group are they? How technically sophisticated are they? What social media sites do you actually use? Going to Snapchat, if your audience is older and only uses Facebook, makes no sense. If you have a younger audience that likes Instagram and likes pictures, you have to use that. So Snapchat is not an answer for everyone because the group that uses Facebook, uh, excuse me, Snapchat the most is what's called the I generation or Generation Z those under the age of 18, and secondly would be the trail end of the millennials, which would be those probably in the 18 to 24 range. So if you have a lot of 18 to 24, maybe 13 to 18, they're going to use Snapchat. Someone 35 is not likely to look at Snapchat. They probably don't even have the app on their phone. And as I reminded everybody at FIBO, is that the average, at least average American, I don't know what it is for an Australian, Spends four hours a day on the phone. 80% of that time is spent on their top five apps. So you have to assume if they're going to use Snapchat, it's one of their top five. Chances are they're over the age of 25, that doesn't apply. But if it is, Snapchat is for very quick messages, preferably a short, quick video, not just talking about an event, but sharing a story about what's going on, about an event that's happened, about somebody's testimony, something like that, that brings people into the storyline. That's what's important. Um, how important are stories, though, Stephen, when it comes to social media? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get this quote exactly right, <laughs> but it's uh, it's from a book uh, uh, called Karaoke Capitalism. It says stories translate information into emotion. And what we do understand about human behavior, people don't make buying decisions. They don't make staying decisions based on a information or facts or data. They make it based on emotion. In the gaming industry, I have a video game company. We talk about monetizing people's emotions. So what you want to do with social media or with Snapchat, and the reason why you do it, the story is because a story can trigger emotions. If you just give a fact we have an event today or we did this, that isn't a story. A story imparts emotion. And the best way to tell a story in today's marketplace is with a very short video clip, particularly for younger audiences. I'm talking a 10 or 15-second clip can capture a lot of attention to compelling story. I mean, that, that's great advice, and I must admit we, um, as, as a club owner, have focused more on storytelling in the last two years as opposed to just doing marketing stuff previously to that, and I have found that that has been a lot more successful. Now, Stephen, just taking a step back, we just spoke about um, fitness apps. Now, is it true that the consumer is now spending the equivalent on their gym membership when purchasing apps. Is this correct? 
There's some data, and I'll have, I don't have the slide up, so I can't give you the exact company uh, that did the research. That's a company that does uh, a lot of work around uh, e-marketing and mobile strategy. And again, going back to the U.S., it showed that when it comes to apps, for first-time users, there's a, and I'm going to refer more to what's called downloaded streaming content, so like Daily Burn or Beachbody or Crunch on Demand or any one of those sites that, that streams content around group exercise or training. It showed that this past year that first-timers spend as much money on these streaming downloadable apps, such as Daily Burn, as they do on club memberships, which would tell me if I'm thinking as a club owner today is that that first-time visitor to a streaming content, I'm just use Daily Burn as an example, they spend as much on that as they do on membership. It also showed that for fitness consumers, uh, that they spend 8% of all their fitness dollars on apps that allow them to stream content, such as group acts or personal training coaching. That's as much money as a member would spend on personal, spend on personal training. So it's really showing us that today the financial power of offering streamable content, downloadable content, which would come through an app, is almost as powerful as the membership itself. Do you think this is a good thing, though, Stephen, that our consumer is now spending just as much on apps as they do on gym memberships? I mean, what does this mean for the club owner? Uh, I'm going to put this in perspective. And, and I'm sure in Australia you have some of the same trends uh, around types of clubs as we do in Europe here in the U.S. You know, budget clubs are huge here in the U.S. And 40% of consumers who go to clubs go to budget clubs. 5% of all consumers go to budget clubs. And, you know, budget club is under $19 a month. If you think about it, that membership to that club is basically what you are paying on a monthly basis to get daily burn. So part of the perspective is now that because of uh, downward pressure on pricing in the club industry, we're seeing this alignment where the price to stream your content, pick your classes, do it wherever you want to, is no more or no less than most clubs. Add that fact that the millennial of today and Generation Z don't like to be in one place. They're all over the place. They're moving. They're doing things. And so for them to set aside the time to go to a club is a little bit more challenging, except maybe urban markets where boutique studios are doing really well. So I don't think it's bad for our industry, but I think what it is is complementary. You have a choice. You can let Daily Burn or Beachbody or Peloton or one of the many others take your members' dollars that they might spend on your club, either as a member or internally, or have a site of your own. So if you look at now, Brunch has its own site. Core Power Yoga has its own site. Goals has its own site. And uh, Physique 57, which is a small boutique out of New York, has its own site. And there's a company like Forte, which will set up your club or your studio so you can stream your own classes or training to the world, but also to your members for additional monetization. Or FitCloud Connect, a company that's out of uh, Canada, that also allows clubs to do that. So I think what you got to see is a more integrated business model for clubs. You're going to have to have the brick-and-mortar element, 
You're going to have the virtual element, and they've got to work in synergy. If you do that, people are more likely to stay a member of your club because you offer them a place to have physical camaraderie and success. But when they can't get there, they're still connected to you. I remember doing an interview with a studio owner in New York, asking about the value of streaming his classes. And he said his retention levels are much better now that his members know when they can't make it in, they can still take his classes wherever they are. That sort of answers your first question where technology can help retention. Yeah, I, I happen to agree with that, Stephen. I mean, it's almost like a control factor, really, isn't it? If the club um, owner can offer streamlining, you're sort of controlling what the member is doing and you will retain them for longer as opposed to having them run all over the place. That's how I look at it. I like the control factor. And, you know, it, the in-house streaming is something that I know as a club owner that we'll be looking at in 2019. Moving from the physical fitness app to the mobile paying app. Now, this is just starting to become trendy in clubs here where people are swiping their phone at the front desk to pay. Can you just educate our listeners a little bit more on mobile app paying at the front desk and how important it is moving forward? I'd be glad to. I will make a comment. We just published uh, the 2018 International Fitness Industry Trend Report which the Australian market was very active in participating in. And Australia and Latin America are the two most progressive parts of the world in the fitness industry in using mobile apps and digital payment gateways. So hats off to Australia for being way ahead of where the U.S. is. But to bring everybody up to speed, you have two things. You have what are called a mobile wallet. That will be Apple Pay, Android Pay, Samsung Pay. Apple's the biggest, Samsung's second, Android is third, and actually Walmart's the fourth. It has its own pay app. And what this means is you can put everything you might have in a wallet on your phone, credit cards, debit cards, reward cards, incentive cards. So, for example, if you have a, an airline card, you can put on there. If you have a store card, you can put on Everything's on your phone, or if you happen to wear an Apple Watch or a Samsung Watch, you can do that, too which means whenever someone goes into a store, in this case the gym, they want to buy a smoothie, they want to buy a T-shirt, they want to buy a personal training session, they're not going to have their wallet or their credit card with them. The only thing they're going to have is their watch or their phone. And if you are enabled to have a platform in your club for payment collection that allows you to swipe them, swipe their phone or swipe their watch, you're going to lose money. I go to coffee shops, and the coffee shop for me over half of their payments are done with people's phones. You never, except for an old timer like me, did I ever pull out a credit card. They all use phones. That's very, very popular. The other is what's called a digital payment gateway, which is sort of like a cloud-based tool. People know of PayPal that allows payments to be transferred between two consumers or a business and a consumer. So I'll give an example. I have a video game company. And I hire people to work for us, and I pay them through PayPal. But a great example of this is uh, MindBody, which is a big software platform used more in boutique studios and clubs. They allow people to pay with a, a, a gateway called Stripe. Uh, there's another one, Virtual Gym, that allows people to use PayPal. And so what you're beginning to see that in the future, people aren't going to want to pay through funds transfer out of their credit card or through their checking account. The one just going to go right to the digital gate, gateway because it's encrypted, 
greater security protection, allows the money to come from one place to the other in a few days in a secure manner. And what's interesting, you're seeing a lot of these digital middlemen, Class Pass, Pay Issue Gym, Urban Sports Club, Zemo, uh, all allow people to pay through digital gateways, which tells me clubs need to catch up to those middlemen. Yeah, I, ha I happen to agree with that. I'm noticing more and more just on our front desk, Stephen, that people are just pulling out their phone now to pay. And, you know, I can remember, you know, decades ago when um, FPOS machines, you know, came in, it was all about, wow, you're going to swipe your card as opposed to paying cash. And now it's like the, the FPOS machine sits on the desk and collects dust because people are just pulling out their phones and swiping to pay. Just moving away from that um, little bit of education there, something I was totally fascinated by at FIBO was when you told uh, the audience that people that put social media posts up that have emojis get more hits than people that don't use them. Can you just explain a little bit more about that? There's a, I subscribe to a few different newsletters in the world of marketing. There's one company called Lead Plum, a big marketing firm that mostly works through email, texting, et cetera. And in conjunction with one of the big research companies, <coughs> did a big extensive study. And they found out that if you have an emoji that accompanies your text message or your email, consumers are far more likely to open it. Now, if I had the time, I'd open up the paper and give you the exact percentage. But what I found was fascinating was the fact that to be upwards of 50% more likely. So if I'm sending out a, a text blast or if I'm sending an e-blast, people, again, remember I talked about how important visual was? People love emojis. They catch people's attentions. And when people see it, they're far more likely to open it than if it isn't. For a matter of fact, I got an e-blast from one of the manufacturers today that had an emoji with it. So I opened it. Uh, and I apologize for not having that stat. If I knew you were going to ask that question, I would have had that percentage up. But I do apologize. I can always email you later. So if you want to make it available to your podcast listeners, you have it. But I think it's really wise because I've been reading more and more how good marketers are beginning to use visual cues, emojis being one of them, to get people to open things. Because it says I probably know you. If you think about your friends, I know I text with my daughter and my son. We use emojis a lot. It sort of says there's a, a relationship there. And so I haven't read all the studies, but I'm going to guess that you're more likely to open an email or text from someone you think you know than someone you don't know. And the emoji may be in parts part of that. Well, I know, Stephen, that I'm actually going to be testing that in my own club throughout January because I find it quite fascinating that some little characters on the screen can create more engagement as opposed to a, a full stop or a question mark. So I'll be definitely testing that out in January and I'll have to give you um, the results on that. Now, as you heard um, Stephen saying, you can get in touch with him um, and get some of this data sent across through an email and we'll drop that information into the bottom of our podcast. So I, I do have a, a final question for you today. Now, please um, do tell me why should educators and suppliers be watching the Russian 
fitness industry. The Russian fitness industry. Oh my gosh. A question out of left field. Uh, to let the audience know, I have spent three years in Russia as the CEO for the Russian fitness group, which is the largest operator from a revenue perspective in the Russian Federation. Uh, when I was there, it was about a $170 million a year uh, business. We had about 58 properties. They have a few more properties now, but there's a lot of operators in Russia. It's a very progressive marketplace, and they're progressive in areas that other markets aren't. They use social media far more than the other markets. they far more likely to use mobile applications than other markets. They're far more, far more likely to use AI. And I can tell you, I haven't been there. There's technology is uh, very advanced there. It's easy to get coders and engineers, so maybe that's a part of it. But they are progressive. They also, from a programming perspective, do things that other regions of the world are. They're far more active with group cycling, dance-oriented fitness, uh, more event-style classes. So they tend to be different than the rest. And so I think they do set the lead in certain areas. And the point I would make is most people say, let's just look at the U.S. as a leader. From our global trend study, I'll tell you, there's things that Russia leads in. There's things that Europe leads in. There's things Australia leads in. There's things that Latin America, such as Brazil, Argentina, lead in. And if all you do is look to the U.S. for guidance, you may find yourself behind the eight ball. You really have to open your eyes and look at other markets. So, for example, in Latin America, over a third of club operators work with digital middlemen. You know, so that's three times what it is in any other part of the world. So what do they know that we don't know? So I think if your listeners were going to take away something is read from around the world. And Russia happens to lead. They're more progressive in terms of medical fitness than any other part of the world. They do more with youth personal training than any other part of the world. So there are areas that they lead in. The trend study shows it. I had, I guess, the good fortune, if you want to say that, to live there for three years and then spend another two years going back and forth. I think um, youth fitness and moving forward with uh, working with medical representatives is really important in the fitness industry. So there's some really good tips there that Stephen has passed on. So perhaps, Stephen, if just the, the everyday club owner wanted to jump on the internet and just sort of like seek out some of this information where would be a really great place for them to start? Oh, boy. There's, you know, there's so many online magazines. Helps the Health Club Management, which is a magazine out of the UK, but it's really a global magazine. It tends to have more progressive articles. Uh, you can read that if you are able to read Spanish or Portuguese. You might want to read The Gym Factory out of Spain, Portugal, or Mercado Fitness. I mean, those are industry-based publications. Of course, there's one such as CBI here in the U.S. But then, I don't know, I explore, I read Harvard Business Review online, I read Fortune online, I subscribe to all these marketing uh, blogs, I subscribe to these uh, uh, networking blogs. For matter of fact, there's a, uh, it's a, what we would call a crowdsourcing site, it's called trendwatching.com, it's a a site that people around the world contribute trends that they see. You can go there, you can subscribe, or you can look at a complimentary. 
And you can see global trends because people from around the world are uploading pictures and commentary about trends. And I will get the exact web address. I think it's trendwatching.com, but I'll have to verify for you on that. But those are the types of things I do. What I would tell someone, I'm doing a talk at URSA. It's not necessarily a plug, but I'm talking about what our industry can learn from other industries. And I'm going to focus on video gaming and sports entertainment and what lessons can our industry learn from their industries. The point being is that if we stay within our own industry. Uh, I think, you know, you know Stephen, collaboration is, is so, so important for success in the fitness industry, which I'm sure that you would agree. And one of our listeners actually had a question for you, and they said, look, uh -oh. could you, yeah, I know. They said, look, could you please ask Stephen, where does he see – now, I know that you haven't got, you know, a, a global ball there, but where do you <laughs> see the fitness industry in the next five to ten years? And this comes from Frank. Okay, where do I see the industry? If, if you're looking at a global perspective, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, continues along with Sweden to have the highest penetration percentages. But the U.S. is a very saturated market. It's oversaturated with budget clubs. And it's oversaturated probably now at this point with boutiques. But if I were to say something, I, I say boutique studios are continued, will continue to evolve around the world, not just the U.S., but even more so in Europe, Asia, even down under. Something to remember about the world is we are becoming more of an urban world than a suburban world. Today, more people live in urban markets than any time in the history of mankind. And urban means... People are close to each other, compacted. So boutiques leverage urban. Technology leverages urban. So I think in time you're going to see more boutique studios. You're going to see more streaming on-demand content. You're going to see middlemen, digital middlemen, such as FastPass or PayShoe Gym, take a more dominant role. I'm pretty sure you're going to see artificial intelligence using beacons become very prominent in our club industry which will allow clubs to operate more efficiently so they can do a better job with customer service. Uh, but the challenge we all have is getting more people who are sedentary involved. The biggest growth in terms of clubs is probably going to be in Asia, simply because there's such an emerging middle class there. Uh, I think Europe and the U.S. are going to be much slower. I think the big growth in terms of total numbers is going to be Asia. Uh, and, you know, I think Australia is getting to the point, not quite where U.S. and Europe is, but catching up to us in terms of the availability in big markets. But nobody's doing anything in the small markets. And that's where a huge potential is of a combination of brick and mortar and virtual can really tap those distant areas that nobody's tapping right now. So, Stephen, in 2019, obviously you're going to be on the speaking circuit and um, you've given some uh, some absolutely fantastic tools today in today's podcast and some great uh, education and some great knowledge there. So where can we come and hear you speak in 2019? Well, if you don't mind listening to an old man speak, I will uh, be at URSA uh, in San Diego in March. I'll be speaking at the AFS Succeed Conference, called the Association of Fitness Studios. Succeed is a conference just for fitness studio owners. I'm doing a, a workshop before the event starts with another gentleman 
and then I'm speaking at the event, and then I will also be speaking at Pebo in Cologne in April. So March and April, I'm doing URSA, AFS, and also FIBO, and then I'm just waiting to hear on some other events later in the year, but that's the first quarter of the year at least. Well, that sounds fantastic, and I'll definitely um, be listening to you. I'll be at URSA, and I'll definitely be at Josh's event also in April. Now, oh, I, wow. just, I just wanted people to know that some recent white papers and reports um, that have come out from Stephen and the team are the pricing game part one and the pricing game part two determining what to charge and how to deliver it. Now, these are really fascinating papers and reports for you guys to to get on and download because the Christmas New Year period, my advice to club owners, is a really good time to be putting your prices up and you need to be putting your prices up because everything else globally is going up. So what I suggest to you is if you want to read those papers that you jump, jump onto the website, which is club. And then there's a spaceintel.com. And you can also obviously get other papers that the team at Club Intel have prepared and dropped onto their website. Stephen, thank you so much for your time today. If anybody wants to get in touch with you directly, what is the best way for them to do that? Well, email, I'm, I'm probably better answering email than I would a text. My email address is Steve, S D E V E T at club-intel.com. So Steve T at club-intel.com. And I'm usually good about responding within 24 hours or sooner to any email I get. So. And if you want, Steve, to open up your email, make sure that in the subject line you have lots of emojis. <laughs> I'm sure to do it for them, but I'll answer no matter what. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you again for your time today, Stephen. I'll be dropping all of his details into the bottom of our podcast, and I thank you again. Well, Mel, thank you. It's great that you do a, a podcast for the audience. I think it's a great way for people to learn about the industry and uh I'm just beginning to learn about podcasts. I've come from an old world where everything was in writing, but the idea of a podcast I can sit and listen to wherever I'm at is a great idea. So congratulations on what you do. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you.